y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 346, I have the privilege of chatting with Dr. Julie Slaherty. And so uh, what ends up happening is let's assume that your husband is waking up with that question, do you believe in me? And he starts engaging with the kids and he starts parenting the way he parents and you're micromanaging and you're telling him, no, don't do it that way. Or why did you give him this to eat? That's going to make him sick. And all he hears is, nope, she doesn't believe in me. Uh, And so what we know about men is they don't want to be in an environment where they constantly feel like they're not enough or they're failing. And so men will tend to withdraw from that kind of situation instead of doing what we really want them to do, which is engage. We want them to engage as fathers, engage as husbands. We want them to step up. But uh, sometimes the way we interact with our husbands actually is making them feel more like they want to step back. Okay, y'all. So this is one of those episodes I wish we could sit together and process and I could hear your stories and hear where you're coming from and know all that. Um, I will say after doing the interview, it changed me and pretty much everyone in my real life that I've seen since has gotten to hear the impact on me and then the ripple effect into my marriage. And so this is an invitation, um, not a judgment, not a should. This is a wow, what a gift to be able to embrace this power we have in marriage and to see how my husband and how my boys engage the world. And I just want to invite you into that. I know these topics are complex, but I really trust Dr. Slaherty. She has been a clinical psychologist, author, speaker. She's president, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. She's been doing this a long time. She's an author of 10 books. And in 2020, she launched sexualdiscipleship.com to help leaders navigate issues of this time and questions with gospel-centered truth. And she has her own podcast, Java with Julie. We have links to everything in the show notes, but um, I'll share more about how this interview impacted me. I'll share that in the outro. But I hope and pray that the ripple effects in homes across the globe happen from this conversation because um, it's a gift. And so I hope you listen with open heart and mind And let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Julie, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm glad to be with you. It's kind of amazing. The show's been happening for eight years and I've seen your name. I followed you on Instagram. I don't know why we haven't had you on the show before because we need your help. I mean, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've been at this about eight years too with the podcasting world. So we got in it around the same time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I was looking back at episodes. I haven't done one specific to inside the marriage relationship in a while. And so I'm excited to help the moms out there, particularly, you know, I was telling you about my own story. I feel that some of the pressure inside marriage has gone up a bit, especially if you have spouses who are working from home or there's been some shift financially or with kids and Mm -hmm. um, what was already hard when you have young kids um, has just kind of cranked up a little bit. And 
we're all feeling a bit insecure in life. And so we're kind of coming at each other and wanting the other person to do more or be more. Have you seen that trend? Yeah, I think what you're saying is so true. There are the tangible things that we can recognize, like uh, somebody loses a job or now we're all sharing a small space as kids are you know, doing school from home and everybody's working from home. So those are the obvious things, but I think there's also some underlying tensions that we don't even know to recognize. For example, there are new stressors today that people and families are facing that no generation in our history has ever dealt with. These are new tension points in our culture that we pick up on whether we want to or not. They're in our newsfeed every day. And it lends itself to a feeling of insecurity. And where does all that stress go? Well, it tends to come out in our interpersonal relationships because we have nowhere else to put it. So I think I think we are at a higher stress level in general today than we probably have been in modern memory. Then you add, and I know you can relate to this. How many kids do you have? We have three sons. Okay. I have four sons. See, I knew I should have mm. had you on earlier. You could have been mentoring <laughs> me. Uh, I, you remember back to those years with young children and you need so much more help. You're looking to your spouse to be that, but they just, it's like you want to control them too and make them mm-hmm. do what you need them to do. But I think as moms, we sometimes sabotage the actual help by micromanaging or complaining or we get, you know, the nagging label. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So I've done that. You, you can relate to that. So talk to us about that because I think it's a missed opportunity. I know that I, I did that for years. How can we kind of empower a mom to use that, embrace that power and strength in her marriage? So it actually helps mm-hmm. her. Yeah. I would say probably about 10 years into parenting. I realized that what I really want my husband to be is another mom. I want him to be a, a replica of me and say things the way I would say them and feed the kids the food I would feed them. And it dawned on me that actually what God gave us is a mom and a dad, but I didn't like him being a dad. I didn't like him uh, bringing the, hey, rub some dirt on it, toughen up, it's okay, a kind of attitude towards things. I didn't like him being stricter with the boys on certain things that I wouldn't be he didn't care as much about nutrition as I did. Uh, he played with them rougher than I did. And, you know, actually, when we look at research, um, kids benefit from having both moms and dads uh, and having the different approaches to everything about play and life and discipline and chores. Uh, our personalities, even beyond being a mom and dad, were different. And those differences are actually meant to balance each other out. But I, in parenting in so many areas of life, for the first decade was like, nope, you need to do it my way. How do I get you to do it the way I approach things instead of really recognizing the value in my husband brings a whole other set of perspectives and gifts to the table that I'm kind of stomping out instead of inviting to flourish. Yeah. I love that you said just the different personalities, two different Mm -hmm. personalities in the picture, because we have our norms of what we think guys are like, and dads are like, and I think in my own home, it's different. My husband Mm -hmm. is the very organized one who does the laundry and the dishes. And I'm like, Oh, just let it go. Let's be, you know, and I'm trying to bring the levity. And so 
but that balance, we kind of yin and yang each other and we, you know, help. And then, but we also end up kind of polarizing and over labeling. Oh, you're such a, Mm -hmm. and kind of, I I think even there are differences in men and women. And I think Mm -hmm. my words have not helped him feel the man that God made him to be. I'm not encouraging that by labeling. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about, yes, we're unique personalities, but the unique ways men are wired, even if we want to push back against that. I have four different versions of a boy. You probably have three different versions of a boy, but there is something that makes them different from me. Right. Uh, And that's a whole conversation that's (laughs) happening in our culture today. Um, But I think if we were to really boil down some of the core differences, particularly within marriage, uh, men really have this vulnerability towards competence and wanting to feel like they're good enough. Um, And so a man will wake up every day sort of with this unconscious question of, do you believe in me? And, you know, that's why the the title of this book, Finding the Hero in Your Husband, guys want to be the hero. Uh, They play this out in work. They play this out in competitive activities or sports or things like any different thing. But men are very sensitive to failure. Now, does it mean that women aren't sensitive to failure? We are, but it doesn't seem to be the core of our identity as much. For women, uh, you're not usually waking up asking your husband, do you believe in me? But you're waking up asking, do you still love me? Like, am I still number one in your life? And so we have to recognize that there's some core needs and vulnerabilities that play out, particularly within intimate relationships, and that how we handle those needs really determine whether or not the relationship is going to feel safe. And so uh, what ends up happening is let's, let's assume that your husband is waking up with that question, do you believe in me? And he starts engaging with the kids and he starts parenting the way he parents and you're micromanaging and you're telling him, no, don't do it that way. Or why did you give him this to eat? That's going to make him sick. And all he hears is, nope, she doesn't believe in me. Uh, And so what we know about men is they don't want to be in an environment where they constantly feel like they're not enough or they're failing. And so men will tend to withdraw from that kind of situation instead of doing what we really want them to do, which is engage. We want them to engage as fathers, engage as husbands. We want them to step up. But uh, sometimes the way we interact with our husbands actually is making them feel more like they want to step back. Y'all, I love to share great products with you that have amazing purpose, and that is the Fazzle products. Their socks, hats, and mitts are handmade in the Himalayas of India by happy ladies. And they're happy because this company is officially certified with the Fair Trade Federation. That means their artisans are well cared for, and the supply chain is held accountable. The women in this community who handcraft every item are given a fair wage and they are no longer struggling financially because of Fazzle. They're making twice the amount they would make if they were working at the local market. Not only that, a portion of the profits help support local orphanages in India. These are orphanages that the founders, Mike and Vanessa, when they moved to India in 2015, they originally worked with these kids. And when they started Fazzle, they wanted to continue to support the work there. 
They're also vegan. These products are a blend of 80% acrylic, 20% nylon, making them 100% vegan, but without the itch. So this special blend has the warmth of wool, but without that itchy feel. They're long lasting, they're velvety soft, you can curl up with a book or relax around a campfire. And I love that their indigenous designs are used with each product. These designs are passed down by the local Himalayan people from mother to daughter for generations, and I love that. So if you wanna go check them out, go to Shop Fazzle, it's F-A-Z-L dot com, and use the discount code D-M-A to get 15% off your purchase. These socks, hats, and mitts make great gifts for Christmas, and you are truly helping a mom, not mom alone, over in India, and all those children who are without moms, I mean, all of this is good work and great products for your family. So go to shopfazzle, F-A-Z-L dot com. Use that code DMA to get 15% off. Oh boy. I knew it. Feeling the, I'm feeling (laughs) it. Julie, I'm feeling it. Yes. I have been in this spot and I kind of knew I was not handling situations well and helping him feel competent, but the challenge is I'm not stopping. It's become a habit in how I relate Mm -hmm. to my husband. And so what would be some ways to kind of encourage and use that strength? Cause it sounds like we have this power to make him feel worse or make him feel better in regards to his competency. So what could we do even if we know cognitively we should, like we need to replace this habit. So what would be some good ways to do that? Yeah, I think it begins with becoming convinced with what will actually bring change. So we keep doing the same thing for year after year after year, even though it's not helping. But we really think that the criticism, the nagging, the taking over, we really think that's going to make things better. Why do we think that when it hasn't worked? Right. Uh, and so really becoming convinced that actually my husband will become the person I believe him to be, not the person I want him to be, as that sometimes is my fantasy world, but the man that I believe him to be, he will try to hit that mark, whether I believe less of him or I believe more of him. And so some of it is even in what the Bible says in Philippians chapter four, I want to choose to think on the things that are good and true and praiseworthy. Uh, it, it says, if anything is praiseworthy and good, think on these things, not if everything, because I think sometimes as as women, we, we interpret it as, well, I can only speak life and encouragement into my husband if he actually is earning it if I love everything about him, no, if anything is good and praiseworthy. And so, uh, you know, a practical step, and this is one that I've done at different seasons when I've struggled in marriage, is just sitting down and writing a list of the things that I appreciate about my husband Mm -hmm. and spending a good half an hour doing that. You know, maybe even starting with the physical, what do I love about his body? Well, I love his broad shoulders and how tall he is. I love his blue eyes. Uh, And then his personality, I love that he makes me laugh every day. I love that like your husband, he's very organized and neat. Like that's a nice thing. It can get on your nerves at times, but it's a strength. So let's focus on the fact that that's a strength. Um, you know, I, how do I love, what do I love about how he interacts with the boys? Well, he gets them to laugh. Uh, I love that he steps in kind of with that dad authority that I don't have. 
and they respect him. So we begin by saying, I, I actually am going to influence my husband more by believing and building into what's good rather than focusing and criticizing about what's bad. And that starts to change how I interact with my husband and it starts to change how he interacts with me. It seems to line up really well with November and all of our gratitude lists. We were, you know, thinking about gratitude this month. I mean, and for the mom who has lots of kids and you're thinking 30 minutes, I don't have 30 minutes. We'll just put a piece of paper on the counter. And as something comes to mind, jot something down. And I think even if you say it out loud in front of your kids, that'd be great. You know? You know, that's another way of doing it. I have a mentor named Linda Dillo who has written on a lot of these these topics before I have. And she, whenever she goes to a bridal shower, she gives a woman a gratitude journal. And the assignment is just take a minute or two a day and list like one thing that you're grateful for about your husband or your marriage. So if you're not the 30 minute kind of person, just one minute a day, Lord, show me what I can be grateful for about my husband today. And, uh, and that becomes reflected. Then you text it to him. I was just thinking about how much I love your laugh or thank you so much for stepping in last night when the kids were having a meltdown, like that, that really helped. So we begin then reflecting that in our communication. Hmm. That's big. I know it sounds small y'all. That seems like, of course he knows that I think those things, but I know if my mind isn't dwelling on them. I'm thinking on them, then he probably doesn't feel that. He probably feels all the critiques, like you said, that I'm giving. Talk to us more about uh, his need, this need to be competent. And we use the word respected feels. Yeah. It's another hot button Mm -hmm. realm word, but talk to us about (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a hot button word because if you grew up in the church, you just heard wives respect your husband without any context of why that's important and what it actually means. Yeah. And so hopefully even some of this conversation about understanding where your husband is vulnerable helps you understand why an attitude of respect is so helpful and important in marriage. Some research shows that men actually would rather be respected than loved. In marriage, like it's more important that their wife believes in them, you know, like sees them as a capable person than has sort of that emotional affection that women generally want. And so it's understanding that when we don't respect our husbands, uh, when our, again, it's not necessarily just the words you say, but the attitude of your heart, when the attitude of your heart is, I'm going to focus on the things that I'm disappointed about. I'm going to focus on his limitations. When you don't respect him, Again, you're chipping away at that safety in the relationship. So when you turn that around and you say, actually, my choice is to think of my husband in a positive light and to show him honor, to show him respect, then you're inviting that strength to grow. Uh, It would be similar to as if a man were to say, hey, the Bible tells me to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I don't always feel love for her. You know, there's a lot of things she does that frankly are not very uh, lovable, but the Bible says it doesn't matter how you feel. It's the position of your heart. Choose to have affection towards your wife. Uh, Choose to consistently put her needs above yours. Uh, And so when we, we talk about respect, we've got to understand that it's a posture of my heart because I really want 
my relationship to be a safe place for my husband. I don't want him to feel like I'm constantly competing with him or criticizing him. I want him to know that I'm on his team. Yeah. And of course we are, you know, I know anytime this comes up, I feel like I have to get the disclaimer for the woman who's being mistreated. Talk to us a little bit about that with respect, how that's involved. Yeah. I don't, I think we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about. Well, not right now, but you know, yeah. there probably are a good 15% of marriages that this applies to. So it's yeah. not, yeah. it's a lot of marriages. And part of what you have to understand is your husband's only need is not respect. That's one core need. But the other piece of that is your husband needs uh, your help. And when we even look at how the Bible describes marriage, it says that God created the man and then he found that the man was not okay by himself. And so he created woman um, to together to bring together his image, to bring the image of God together. And woman is called in the scripture helper. And we don't like that word either. <laughs> but if we if we look at the Hebrew, it's actually the word ezer, which is the same word that is used for the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this helper is not, hey, can I make you cookies? It is, I am bringing a force to your life that is going to help you grow and that is going to help you become more complete as a person. And there's a lot of different elements to what that helper looks like. But I think one we don't talk about is accountability. You know, a husband and wife are not just husband and wife. They're also brothers and sisters in Christ. They're co-heirs in create, the created order. And so part of the interchange of intimacy in marriage is that we call each other on stuff and we set boundaries when they need to be set. And so respect is not this blind whatever you do, I'm going to applaud. It's an attitude of, I believe the best in you. And part of believing the best in you is confronting when it's necessary and confronting with strength and bringing a third party in. If um, there are issues in your marriage that are unhealthy or destructive, it means setting boundaries of hey, a separation if needed uh, and intervention. And so we have to understand that the respect piece is just one piece of what makes a healthy marriage. But a woman also has to understand and bring her in her strength to be that helper um, that a husband relies on for accountability as well as other things. I think that's really helpful to recognize that if we are doing the respect piece and it's not just this nagging or seeing an issue, maybe a legitimate issue in their life. I think if there's this respect tone of, you know, they're not our savior, but we're believing in them and that they are competent. And we're even believing that they're competent to get better in this area of weakness with the help of God mm -hmm. and others. And so right. I think right. I'm, I'm imagining there's something in your marriage or in your spouse, and there might be something in you that they're concerned about. But if I've I've developed that respectful relationship, that feedback and that pointing to getting help might be a little bit more well-received if it's not just a nagging and pointing at it all the time in a way that's yeah. not helpful. Yeah. Not even a little bit more well-received, <laughs> a lot more well-received because, <laughs> you know, if, if you are constantly nagging about, you didn't load the dishwasher right and you were five minutes late to this and then when you actually say, I have a problem with your pornography use, it doesn't carry much weight. Yeah. But if your whole relationship has been, 
hey, I'm building into you. I believe in you. I'm on your team. Like I want the best for you. Uh, and it has been this affirming and respect, respectful dynamic. Then when you say, I have a serious issue, issue I need to talk to you about, and there's something in, in our marriage I'm not okay with. Now he can hear that. And now actually he's become to rely so much on your on your intimacy and companionship that the fact that you have a concern really gets his attention because he, he doesn't want to lose you. Uh, and he knows that you don't make mountains out of molehills. And so there are going to be issues in every marriage that have to be addressed, but it's the relational equity that we build through how we treat our husbands that give us the power to confront things when they really need to be addressed. Hey, y'all, if you are looking for an amazing gift to give loved ones this holiday season, something that's special and unique, let me remind you of StoryWorth. I even had a listener reach out this week saying, what was that thing that you tell us about where they send emails and you get stories and they create a book? It's StoryWorth. It's an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve these precious memories and stories for years to come. Stories that you may not think to ask your parents. And when I think of the legacy of Bruce's parents having been married over 55 years and my parents were married over 50 years, there's a gift even in that. And I love hearing from my mom different aspects of her early marriage that I didn't know things that I didn't know. So if you want to check it out, um, after a year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved one's stories, including photos, into this beautiful keepsake book that you can share and revisit for generations to come. Stories you can share with your kids and your grandkids. Um, and even as you're getting the stories through emails, you can connect with loved ones no matter how far apart or near you are. So with StoryWorth, I am giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. So go to storyworth.com slash DMA, save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth, W-O-R-T-H, dot com slash DMA to save $10 on your first purchase. It's great. That's really good. So we have, they need our respect. They need our help. What's another way we can embrace the power in our marriage uh, to help strengthen it? Well, there's one more need that I write about in the book, and it's the, the need in the arena of the sexual area. And when I, I first wrote this book 20 years ago, I totally rewrote it for today's generation. The first time I wrote it, I just simply said the need was sex. And for sure, we know through research that um, sex has a very powerful place in a man's life, that um, he's very motivated by his <laughs> sex drive, and yeah. he can be um, drawn into relationship through um, sexuality. So that's a piece of it. But the reason I rephrased it, and I did rephrase it in this book, that a, a need he has is for you to share his sexual journey is because a man's sexual need isn't always expressed as I need more sex. Uh, there's so much more to it. Uh, probably in about 25 to 30% of marriages, it's actually the woman that has the higher sex desire and drive. 
And so that doesn't mean that sex not, is not an important area of your husband's life. It's just understanding that there's a whole journey behind that. Uh, and there's struggles that men wrestle with, whether it's sexual shame from the past or whether it's sexual shame from not having a high sex drive, uh, or if it's current struggles with pornography and masturbation and those sort of issues that are so common in our day and age, what a man really needs is for his wife to be on that journey with him. Um, because I think what usually happens in marriage is she's on her sexual journey, which also may include shame and struggle. And he's on his sexual journey. And then they just try to get their bodies to work together without realizing that God calls for them to be on the healing journey together. And that sex is more about what you, than what you do with your body. Hmm. Mm. That's really, really helpful because as part of a mom's journey, her body, uh, if she has had biological children is this, you know, <laughs> roller coaster ride uh, baby, baby factory. Yeah. And <laughs> just, and then exhaustion. And it feels like another chore when we hear mm -hmm. my husband's need is sex. Okay. So just right. add it on to, with the grocery list. One more thing required of me. And mm -hmm. so this feels a little more invitational and relational when you call it a journey. Yeah, it is relational because what can happen in marriage, and this happened in my marriage when our kids were really little, was I did develop that attitude of, all right, it's been three or four days. Now it's time to check that box again and meet that need. And I began thinking of sex like, oh no, the, sh the mold is growing on the shower again. I have to scrub it off. And that's not, that's not very fun. Your sex life isn't going to develop if you stay in that frame of reference. And um, what I wish I had understood back then is that part of the journey of sex is helping your husband understand your needs. And yes, there, there are times where it's um, the quickie just because we don't have time to connect any other way. But what does it mean to actually be building sexual intimacy and not just be checking the box of sex and discovering like, how can I get my wife to a place where she is able to focus, where she has some energy? What does that require of the husband? You know, maybe putting the kids to bed and giving them their baths and giving her time alone. And, and so the journey is so much more important than whether or not we're checking a box. All really, really helpful, really helpful. And I want this mom listening to know she's not alone if all of this is hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yep. this, like you said, every marriage is having challenges. And I think some of the lie of, of the internet, and we always say this all the time, is we see someone else and we see their highlight reel or we see them at church. And it seems to us that they all have it figured out and it's only mm -hmm. hard for our family. So it must be wrong. Can you just help her and speak to her about that lie? Yeah, it's, it's a messy journey. And I think one of the gifts that I had early on of being a psychologist is I get to meet with people all the time, you know, yeah. for my job yeah. where they would talk about these issues. And some of them were people that I knew from church or that I knew from the community, like, Hey, they have it together. And then behind the closed doors of the counseling room, they would begin to describe to me 
the messiness of their life, um, the conflict that they had last week that just was a total blowout. Uh, you know, the the questions they were asking of, do I even want to stay in this marriage? You know, just the the conflicts, the tension, the exhaustion, that is the norm. And that really helped me as a young wife and mom to say, okay, I'm not going crazy. And uh, I'm going to go to bed and tomorrow is going to be another day. And I have to learn to rely on the wisdom and strength that God says he's going to give me to to manage things today. I need to rely on the wisdom of of older women to help me. Like the Bible says, I need to, I need mentors, I need teachers. And I also need to give, give myself and my spouse a lot of grace because we've never done this before. We're trying to figure it out. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, but that's why grace is such a beautiful thing. In your 20 years, since you wrote this book, I'm guessing you've seen it. I've seen it even in just the little few years I've been a mom uh, that husbands are more involved in the parenting than our dads ever were. Yeah. But I feel like that adds this dynamic to what we're talking about here with the respect and the relationship shift. And then also, you know, way more women having jobs outside the home. And so then they may even be financially providing more than the spouse. And so that shift. Mm -hmm. And so these roles have been adjusted and yet there is that need within a spouse to be competent. How can we help our spouse if, if those roles are shifted in our own home and maybe even for the stay at home dads that are listening, who have chosen that for the benefit of their family. And that's just how they're wired and it's working for their family, but they're maybe missing out on this aspect. Yeah. You know, some things are interchangeable and Mm. roles are interchangeable who brings in the primary paycheck and who changes the diapers and uh, who goes to the doctor's appointment. Like those, I think in previous generations, we've been so inflexible about those, Yeah, but they really are. There's a lot of flexibility there. And throughout a season of a marriage, you might be changing roles three or four times in terms of who's doing more of what, but there's some things that are not interchangeable. And these core needs don't change because you take on a different role. Mm -hmm. And so a husband still is asking that question, like, am, am I your hero? You know, for example, my husband and I are in a stage of life now. We just became empty nesters, which you think is never going to happen. And then it happens. And it's hard and it's hard in its own ways. Yeah, it is. Um, and most throughout our marriage, he was he had the sort of the nine to five steady job. And I kind of grew in ministry as the kids were getting older. But now it's the case where like, I'm working more. The ministry is bigger. I'm traveling a lot and he's starting to travel with me. And so he's playing a more supportive role. Uh, whereas in the past, it was me playing the more supportive role. Uh, but there's still that sense of how do I honor his manhood? How do I honor even in how we interact, how much I appreciate him, how much I respect him, how much I need him uh, and how he's just such a blessing to me. And so there's a way of speaking into who he is as a man, even though our roles have shifted. And so I think if you're in a situation where you are the one who's working more, bringing in the paycheck, you know, he's more the one that's staying at home or taking care of some of those things, or he's playing a more supportive role, 
how do you speak into that question? He's still asking, do you believe in me? And, you know, I think on the flip side of that, a lot of women can become resentful that they don't feel like their needs are fully being acknowledged. Um, Let me use an example. Let's say like I have a friend who's a pediatrician and she works full-time her husband is mostly the stay-at-home dad and she loves her job, but there's a part of her that kind of resents like, why I'm missing everything in my kid's life. Yeah. Like I'm not there for the school choir concert and I, I'm not there for, you know, like this significant event or when my daughter took our first step. And so those sort of things have to be talked out and they may, they may make you readjust things. And they may not, but if you're not meeting the emotional need, that's when marriage gets in trouble. And so we can't just assume because the who earns the paycheck roles are interchangeable, that are our intrinsic needs of what makes relationships work. Those aren't going to change with time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I like the defining the roles, but the needs being different because, you know, it goes also to the mom who is in the stay-at-home role, the caregiver role, and feeling a bit envious and so doesn't really talk well to her husband because he Mm -hmm. is, quote-unquote, getting the freedom and the Mm -hmm. accolades and some things outside the home that she is wired to want to be the achiever. And so, yeah, evaluating those needs and communicating them rather than acting out because I see it as this cyclical thing if you're not meeting each other's needs, you just stop meeting them and then you just spiral you out. Yeah, right. you do because then marriage doesn't feel safe for either of you. Yeah. And this is where you get to the point where you're like, we are just roommates. Like mm. we talk about what needs to be done. We can function as teammates, but there's no intimacy. Intimacy is when the relationship is safe. And if you're not addressing those emotional needs, the relationship isn't going to feel safe for intimacy. Yeah. People use these words a lot, safe, um, creating safe relationships. And so what you're saying is in order to be safe, you're considering the needs of your partner and you're meeting them. Right. So, you know, the whole theme of the book is that your husband's need gives you power. And so if I have the power to either speak life into my husband's soul or criticize him, then if I choose not to speak life, I'm not emotionally safe for him. I'm not physically hurting him. Maybe I'm not even saying mean things, but I'm not a place where he wants to come and share. This is what's going on in my heart. You know, here's what I'm afraid of, or I just had this horrible thing happen at work. Uh, He's not going to be vulnerable. And the same is true for us as women. If we don't feel like our husbands still see us as they're number one. If we feel like, you know, they're, they're constantly choosing something else above us, then we just don't feel like, Hey, why should I tell my husband? He's not going to listen anyway. He won't Mm -hmm. understand anyway. And so we begin shutting down our heart and that's where marriage becomes this place that just feels so lonely. Yeah. And so one of us has to go first. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Wanted them People to break are like, the cycle. Have, yeah. Why couldn't you've written the book to the guys? Why can't they go first? <laughs> but I will tell you that when one person goes first, it does t- it does change the cycle. You know, yeah. it's sort of like a standoff or like a tug of war. When you drop the rope, 
your husband can't pull on it anymore. It's like, okay, we got to change our dance. Mm. And being those safe people, considering their needs emotionally, just leads to flourishing for both of us. It's like, yes, it really it's a does. sacrifice to go first. It's dying to self yeah. to go first when you don't feel like it. But ultimately, there is a benefit to the whole. Yeah. And yeah. I think sometimes even recognizing when our husbands make efforts to go first, hmm. you know, like when out of the blue, he just brings you flowers or um, texts you sort of a flirty text or, you know, like I think there are times where they make efforts to go first, but we don't always pick up on it. So it's just, okay, let me even look for those to respond to. Hmm. Super helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I will definitely be linking to your book, your podcast, all the episodes and all the ways to connect with you. So I so appreciate that we got to connect here and um, I feel encouraged. I'm going to go make my gratitude list. I'm going to start. I'm going to go first. (laughs) Great. And I hope we get to talk again soon. That would be great. Thanks so much, Heather. I really appreciate the chance to share. Oh, of course. All right. You have a great day. You too. So here's my story. Uh, After the interview, I wanted to see, like, did it matter that I communicated to Bruce that I believe in him, that I believe he's capable and he's competent? And so, you know, he's working from home and I was interacting with him, you know, just casually and letting him know how much I appreciated all he does for our home and just spoke all these positive words. And I could see his body change and just the feeling between us shift. And then multiple other times when I felt myself about to critique what he was doing, I stopped myself and said something positive instead. And I'm going to tell you, it kind of feels like an easy button. It has changed the dynamic of our interaction. I feel like he was maybe um, feeling discouraged and I can sense that he's got some positive momentum now. I don't know what's going on in your own marriage. I don't know what's hard right now, but I can guess that there's something challenging. And my hope is that this conversation would not add to your to-do list, but more just, again, my heart is how to be. And how can we be in these relationships and do our part to hold on to self and still be using the power we do hold in our home for the good of all of our relationships. It does not mean like Julie and I were talking about that we don't acknowledge issues, but that we increase that relational equity. And so when things come up that need to be confronted and addressed, that our husbands know we are on their side and that our intimacy and companionship grows. And so that concern really gets the attention it needs um, instead of it just being this, like I think of peanuts, the So I am praying over all of us. I'm going to pray first right now that this information um, just takes root. Lord, you know each of our stories intimately. You know the marriages represented today. You know what is hard today. And my prayer is for whoever is listening to hear from you first, that they are loved by you, that the ability to use words and encourage 
comes from knowing that we are secure in our love by you, not by what we do, but because of what Christ did on the cross, that that position, um, a favor of being your children came because of what Christ did. And any outpouring of love or care to those around us is just a response to you going first, Jesus, to you kind of sacrificing yourself for us and seeing that there is a greater value and good when we choose um, love and care in our words. I pray for myself that you would put um, just a filter over my mouth uh, to speak only words that build up and encourage so that when challenges come, we can come to you and with each other and tackle them together. And I pray, Lord, for those in pain and in hurting because of just the brokenness all around us. I pray for your supernatural comfort and care in their hearts and their minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've put some links to other shows on marriage uh, in the show notes in case you need some more encouragement. I just really want to support y'all and know that you are loved and cared for and you're not alone if there's challenges today with your marriage. So hear me say that. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting you back here next week. I'll have an interview with my friend Jeannie Cunyon. We're going to talk about parenting and the power of the Holy Spirit and it is fiery. (laughs) So good. It's really encouraging and just another layer of freedom and hope. And so I'll meet you back here next week. Y'all take care. Thanks for all your support when it comes to the book. Again, if you've bought a copy, you've read it, you've enjoyed it. If you can tell a friend, that is the biggest gift because I know for myself, I don't love mom books. And I think that the assumption I make is that it's going to make me feel worse. And if my book at all helped you feel better, if you share that with other moms, that's such a gift to them. And to just spread the message of God's hope and care through community and through our relationship with him. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing online and with your friends in person. And I'll see you next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.